This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 9th of February 2022 at home in Wicklow. And the topic of today's episode is defiance and the idea of defiance as a key tool of wellness, of self-care, of personal responsibility, of personal autonomy. I also talk about certitude that to be fully effective and to serve you best must resist the temptation of rigidity and absolutism. Certitude is only of use if it retains a certain mobility and flexibility that allows it to to take some uh, tough times, that allows it to absorb the pressure of adverse effects. Um, yeah, so that is that is largely what I'm talking about today. Um, defiance as something that can be incorporated into your lo-fi gentle hum wellness doesn't have to be a big political public demonstration but uh, if you listen you'll find out in all the ways I explore it how it can be useful to you okay so that's what's coming up I hope you can find time to listen I'll see you there cheers bye Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. Welcome. That was one of those emphatic highs, wasn't it? Hi, Dara Clear here, bringing you this report from Wicklow. Uh, yeah, there you go now. So, happy, happy this day, whichever day this is, you're listening to this little, this little broadcast. I hope you're well. I hope you're in a in a good space. Personally, I'm going to struggle today with this. <laughs> it's going to be an uphill, an uphill push. It's going to be a, a, a sissifusion act of defiance. And defiance is going to be very much in the mix today. I say this because I'm not in a very forward-facing frame of mind and if you uh, are keeping yourself relatively up to speed with business lingo business terminology forward-facing describes any aspect of a business that is in direct contact with customers and clients so forward-facing not the not the backroom staff, not the admin team behind that closed door, but your receptionists, if you will, your sales assistants, if you will, your meet and greet peeps. That's forward facing. And the podcast, <laughs> this podcast is, of course, a forward facing effort, despite despite the, 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 the factual setup of me being alone in a room with a microphone. 
it is a forward facing conceit the this little this little charade of one voice one microphone and an imagined audience <laughs> it's it's it is the walk it's the walk of the tightrope and i just don't know where the tightrope leads and i don't know if there's anybody watching spellbound in the the circus seats beneath me as they open-mouthed eyes agog mindlessly feed themselves popcorn or candy floss or peanuts and they wait for the red-haired fool to fall off the tightrope and break his blooming neck that is well that's theater actually isn't it that's the uh, that's the that's the high wire act of live performance that's the agreement to lock yourself in a dark room with someone else to wait and see what's going to happen the the consumption of cinema is a little bit like that as well i i referred to that last week when when speaking about the voyeuristic frame the voyeuristic perspective of how we think about cinema consuming those images that's um that that refers to the english film critic david thompson's prevailing um idea around around cinema we watch in the dark the safety of being hidden um yeah actually speaking speaking of last week's episode when last week's episode was very much centered around uh female love on screen and particularly same sex female love so lesbian affairs and i was citing a few different movies i did focus particularly on celine siama's skiama shiama skiama celine skiama's portrait of a lady on fire and after i'd finished recording i realized there'd been a couple of notable omissions um and one of the reasons for a couple of those omissions um in terms of the 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 movies i was talking about is quite simply even though i'm aware of them i've never watched them one is the recent um movie ammonite with kate winslet and saoirse ronan which i haven't watched yet but was critically very well received and again superficially similar setup to portrait of a lady on fire in terms of being a period drama in terms of one woman dealing with a certain amount of repression maybe from a slightly more um you know mainstream uh layer of of society level of society and a what geologist archaeologist i think kate winslet is a someone who studies fossils i mean that's where you get the ammonite of the title but they fall in love and it's based on a true story um and again there's that whole thing of appropriation of female discovery by male um by men in terms of that kate winslet character's um findings being i think claimed by uh by men anyway that was an omission also the bitter tears of petra von kant the werner fassbinder movie from wow i want to say 1971 i'm not sure if that's correct Again, a movie I only know by reputation and reading sort of contemporaneous reviews, one I've never seen. 
um, and that involved three female characters in you know quite quite a trippy looking movie if you go back and look at the trailer but then very much the sort of uh, paraphernalia and iconography um, color scheme of the time one I will watch at some point um, and then the a third movie that I have seen but didn't mention my, my cousin here at hashtag blessed referred to it is The Hunger again a sort of an earlier mid 80s um, modern vampire movie like vampires hiding hiding well living in contemporary New York and David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve are the the vampires and they bring Susan Sarandon into the into their little relationship so there is um i mean it's not i don't know how central it is but there is definitely a a a sex scene or a love scene or a vampiric love scene in any case between Deneuve and sarandon um an early tony scott movie um you know already showing the the sort of hallmarks of his of his style very you know such an 80s movie um yeah shoulder pads (laughs) shoulder pads that's my memory shoulder pads and and soft lighting and shadow so sort of strangely noirish for a quite a well-lit movie anyway that maybe those three movies should have been mentioned last week so there you go just thought i'd just i'd drag them out of the out of the ether just as a little just as a little throwback to last week's uh, episode in any case moving on i sat down here to record and um i found myself looking at a book my my wife had has borrowed from the library and it's a very it's a very pretty little hardback book uh published in 2016 and it's in excellent condition so maybe it hasn't been has, it hasn't been borrowed very much and it is called the little book of and i'm going to spell this word for you h y g g e the little book of Heige. and the subtitle is the danish way to live well and the author is make waking <laughs> Today we are going to make Vikings together. First, grab a Scandinavian man or woman. Um, Viking is the surname. Now I don't know if the Danes pronounce their W's like V's, because then it would be make Viking, which would be quite quite cool in a way. Anyway, fundamentally, it's. I mean, this is this book is. I'm holding it in in my hand. It's uh, it's smaller than A2. It's really a little thing. So it's like it's a small coffee table book. And fundamentally, my understanding of it after a browse is it's like a Danish equivalent of Feng Shui. And as I flick through the book, all the photographs, it's got this nice kind of matte finish. And I can't shake the feeling that it's this sort of, you know, a philosophy of aesthetics that tries to get you to make your you know your 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 abode your living spaces and your shared experiences look like a, an apple photo shoot um so my, my apologies if that's offensive to uh devotees of Hygge and 
just just to to give you a brief a brief um intro to this in fact the the first <laughs> the first the first few lines of the introduction uh they offer up three different pronunciations of this word huga hugu hug it's not important how you choose to pronounce or even spell hug <laughs> To paraphrase one of the greatest philosophers of our time, Winnie the Pooh, when asked how to spell a certain emotion, you don't spell it, you feel it. So the book basically lost me there. Um, Just don't give me that sitting on the fence crap. Tell me how to pronounce the word. And don't wishy-washy it in an infantilized reference to to Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Now, I know I'm aware of Benjamin Hoff's work and the Tao of Pooh and the Tay of Piglet and you know it, it it has its place those books have their place and as a younger man i did enjoy the tao of Pooh. and you know sometimes these books are nice little pop cultural artifacts and they're nice little entry points to to uh to deeper thinking and to a deeper engagement with philosophy or spirituality and there's no reason to judge that stuff that's nice isn't it let's let's make it accessible let's make it cute i'm not a big fan of cute though cute kind of to borrow an australian term cute gives me the shits <laughs> uh, that's not to be taken literally thanks very much um but yeah the little book of it's a cute thing it's a nice little pretty thing and it seems to revolve largely around nice lamps and nice candles and not having too many people to share the moment because then you lose you lose the vibe you lose that kind of organic intimacy um so it's you know there's there's a there's a little bit of a a fascist streak in there of of control and exclusion and this is the way to do it um so yeah there you go thanks uh thanks mike Viking. let's mike some vikings today um now, what of, of what relevance is the little book of Chige to uh, to to my my topic today? Well, if if the the linchpin of today's discussion is going to revolve around defiance, we could start with the little book of Chige and present that as a little case study of this is the way to do it here is the received model here is the received wisdom here is a code of aesthetics a code of aesthetics that are going to lead to greater social cohesion perhaps greater happiness and again to refer to the subtitle a greater ability to to live well following the Danish model. Of course, you can just introduce an act of defiance and go, no, it doesn't feel very organic if it's all orchestrated. So I find there's a little part of me that just resists, (laughs) that resists the manipulation of, isn't this so perfect? And I don't know what that makes me. A Philistine of some kind, perhaps, because I know, I know people, I know people, I can, I can make things happen. 
I can make you disappear like that. Uh, I know people who who value this kind of thing really highly. In fact, I think even in my amongst my listeners, I know people like that who treasure the aesthetic, who integrate the aesthetic into their world view and cherish beautiful things and beautiful items and the vibes that uh, attain to such items and bringing people into a space with you know into a, into a space of aesthetic thoughtfulness aesthetic consideration aesthetic value of course can enhance the experience can enhance the event the occasion and i guess you know i mean i i what sort of moron would I be not to recognize that that's a that's a valuable thing <laughs> I'd be maybe a little bit of a uptight moron I'd be a bit of an overthinking moron I guess if that's if that's not an oxymoron <laughs> he's a very smart moron uh, that's an oxymoron right there isn't it um, so defiance you don't have to accept anything do you really i mean that's that is in one's prerogative and my argument fundamentally is that to have the capacity for defiance in your arsenal is a really powerful aspect of your own wellness um I believe that very strongly. I believe in the the capacity to assert your own values, to assert your own your own world view, to assert your personality and your personhood, your identity, your agency in the world in spite of your choice perhaps moving in a very different direction to the choices of others um now you have to qualify that so i was about to say you know within reason because if nothing else i'm a reasonable man and i don't think i don't think you know anyone should have a problem with that (laughs) because i expect some reciprocal reasonability um i expect some reciprocal even-handedness and i don't think that's a i don't think that's a bad aspiration uh, or a bad a bad hope or a bad desire for the world particularly in in the current moment where it seems and i have touched on this in in recent episodes you know where it seems at the moment in the world that the nature of so much discourse is incredibly attritional and accusatory and volatile and hypersensitive and hyper-personalized. And it just seems to completely disregard the possibility of a true exchange. It seems to, it seems to, and a disregard isn't the word I'm looking for, to um hmm, what is that word it doesn't allow for the openness 
or the the opening of the scope of the conversation things get reduced and narrowed almost immediately to this is my perspective and that's the only thing that counts and that may sound like it contradicts this sort of philosophy of defiance that I'm going to advocate today but it doesn't it doesn't I mean quite the contrary my my fundamental argument is that your own and I'm hesitating to use this word because sometimes it can make your (laughs) sometimes I, I associate it with kind of rigidity of thought or feeling but your own certitude um but you know again we can qualify that word you know your cert i was going to say your you know this, your your own certitude in your in your value system your own certitude in your alignment with the world your alignment with yourself and how you position yourself in the world that certitude can be an ever evolving thing that certitude can be enormously flexible and it's my belief that that certitude is only of value if it doesn't become dogma if it doesn't become a weapon with which to beat other people um you know if it doesn't become a weapon on which to impale your enemies your certitude is in my opinion best deployed when it represents the information you currently have or the information you've acquired over your lifetime and the conclusion it's brought you to today but the the risk is then to go it's you know the risk is to to shut up shop the risk the risk the risk then is to to pack away your reflection the risk is then to pack away your critical thinking. The risk is then to consider yourself done, completed, arrived, with no more no more discovery available. Is that not the most depressing position in the world? To convince yourself that there's nothing more to learn, that there's you know, there's no room. <laughs> there's no room for anything else. I mean this is this is the um this is the sort of the humility metaphor so if your sense of accomplishment or your sense of wisdom your sense of certitude is represented by the metaphor of a cup that is full (laughs) the question is well what else can you put in the cup if it's full there's nothing else and you know this is this is why you know the 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 for some people the receipt of new information the 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 acquisition of new information or the imposition of new information can cause that cup to overflow and you know if if <laughs> that's where my aesthetic my aesthetic um impulse kicks in because i don't like an overflowing cup it bothers me it stresses me out <laughs> The, I like, I mean, if I bring up an image in my mind of a nice little saucer and a lovely cup sitting in that saucer and then my beverage of choice being poured into that cup, I don't want it to come all the way to the brim. I want it to sit 
about five millimeters, you know, <laughs> below the rim and not overflow. And I wanted to sit there and be something that satisfies me aesthetically. Um, now that said, that said, <laughs> if you're <to laughs> if you're to look at my my uh, twice a day latte, I have a nice a nice uh, sort of chocolate brown coffee cup that uh, that's my that's my coffee cup that's where I make my 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 coffee twice a day and by the time I add my froth <laughs> that that froth sits about about five mil above the rim but of course if 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 the blend of the coffee and the froth has has gone as I've as I've hoped it just sits there perfectly and is in no danger of spilling but typically I sit that cup on the you know on the on, on the bench on the counter in the kitchen and I do not lift it to take the first drink I descend <laughs> I descend as if I'm bowing before a king or queen and I descend and bring my my mouth to the to the cup mouth to cup not cup to mouth so that's a that's an, an egregious breach of etiquette and I'd be kicked out of any establishment for, for doing that if if such if such things mattered uh, but anyway the idea then is to to allow your cup so to speak to allow your cup be emptied so then the question is if we're if we're if we're you know if we're keeping track with the metaphor so if the cup if this metaphor of the cup holds your your sense of of knowledge your sense of understanding your um i mean what else could go in there your sense of sort of spiritual wellness i'll use that word again your sense of alignment and harmony with the world in which you find yourself I think it's dangerous if you turn the key on that, if you lock it there, because that then is something that, in my opinion, is is rigid and unwieldy. And that is not is not conducive to sustained wellness. I believe we have to embrace a certain flexibility that goes along with our 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 rigor that goes along with our conscientious self-care that goes along with the implementation of wellness staples in our lives i believe there has to be a flexibility there so let's jump from one metaphor to another a tree a big, strong, beautiful tree. Roots going deep into the earth from which it gets its nutrition. Branches reaching high into the sky. Leaves making food for the tree in the form of chlorophyll. The tree also giving life, giving life all around by the production of oxygen the absorption of 
carbon dioxide, this wonderfully sustainable organism. And it is strong. It is upright. It is life-giving. It is a part of nature. It connects to the earth and to the sky. And yet, it is flexible. And we can look out in the garden or walk through a park or walk through a city and see these impressive trees that we love so well. And they can feel like permanent fixtures. And they are points of reference for us all. And yet, they are flexible. They move so as not to fall. They move so as not to snap. And I think that's a good one. I think that that last thought is is a nice one to bring into your your sense of how how do I carry myself in the world? How do I carry this knowledge and wisdom that I've acquired so far? How do I carry the experiences that have shaped and formed me? Well, carry them with fortitude, carry them with strength, carry them with self-possession, but don't carry them so intently that they can't accommodate any resistance whatsoever. Now, let's bring it back. Let's bring it all back to defiance. So, I'm going to jump around this as usual, as is my my want. <laughs> um, and I'm going to start with my daughter. Now, last night, my daughter came into the uh, the main sort of living area where we spend most of our time at hashtag blessed. She had a little towel wrapped around her. She'd come out of the shower, and she. <laughs> Her own little rituals and routines, um, you know, in, involve her being very sort of drifty, wifty, and you know, just just following, you know, where her immediate interest takes her. And this is never more evident to me than when she comes out of the shower. So her coming out of the shower to me, it's like okay, dry yourself quickly, get your pajamas on and get ready for either bed or dinner or whatever, you know, the next thing that is happening. And I'm often kind of barking at her to, come on, quick, hurry up, dry yourself, stop farting around. But last night she came into the came into the living area and her eye was caught by a breakfast cereal box, an empty breakfast cereal box that had been chucked into like a fuel box beside the stove. The stove, which was you know fully lit and burning away, and therefore very hot, and she sees it, and she was immediately like disgusted. Who put this here? <laughs> and I was very relieved to know that I hadn't. I had not been the person who had put it there, and um, my wife had no memory of putting it there. But she was most certainly the only person who could have done it, because my daughter and I had already had a little. Uh, moment around the cereal box earlier in the morning uh, before she went to school because uh, she'd taken the box over to her table where she has all her bits and pieces and where she's meant to do her homework and she has her assigned space and it's you know it's it's permanently 
cluttered and covered in stuff and it's um it's the absolute opposite of the little book of so right there that's there's my daughter's act of defiance in the face of and um anyway she was like i was like what are you doing with that cereal box you know that's for the stove let's burn it and she said no no i'm gonna paint it i'm like okay but at some point my wife had seen it there folded it up and put it beside the stove for burning so after the shower there's my daughter you know with a tiny towel wrapped around her otherwise completely naked and just makes a beeline to get that box and i'm looking at the stove blazing hot and i'm i don't think i shouted at her but i was like stop don't get it don't touch it (laughs) and she just plowed ahead Cloud ahead as if my voice, as if I'd been suddenly rendered completely mute and as if there was nothing else in the world except her and a path to that box. And there she was leaning over the other fuel containers with logs and briquettes and reached over right beside the stove, half naked, and grabbed what she wanted. And so I... um, I reprimanded her. <laughs> I said, I cannot stand it when you do that. I just told you not to do that. It's because I don't want you going near the stove when you're blooming naked. And um, thankfully, my wife supported me. Um, and, you know, my, my daughter's just looking at me kind of like, you know, you're a fool because, you know, this is important to me and I need this thing. And I'm disgusted that somebody put it there beside the stove where I didn't want it to be. Um, and I sort of recognized that. I, I kind of I recognized her journey. I knew exactly what, you know, what her processes were. Um, and, you know, after, so, you know, as part of like the, the latter part of me giving out to her, I felt, I, I said, listen, you know, you, you're, 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 you're being so bloody headstrong. And... I said first no first I said you're being oh you're so stubborn and she kind of didn't she kind of made a little face at that and I said you're so headstrong and she said what does headstrong mean I said it means stubborn <laughs> um, because I just can't say anything just once as as anyone who listens to this uh, podcast would know and but I then I added I said listen that's actually can be a really really good that can be a really good quality that can be something that's very useful and I think it means you're probably not going to be pushed around which I really like but when it's me or your mother speaking there's no place for it <laughs> um so yeah so but it, like like so anyway to 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 keep it on track with this idea then of what then does defiance mean defiance is it's a great act of of agency and it's a great act of personal assertion and of course it's particularly it's particularly sort of sharply delineated when that act of defiance is in direct opposition to authority so let's argue for a second that I am in a position of authority as, as fanciful as that notion is. Let's argue that I'm in a position of authority in this household, in this family. 
my daughter is is frequently frequently um she, you know displaying um virally displaying her her defiant impulses and it is challenging at times but there's a part of me that absolutely loves it and cherishes it and hopes it's something that stays very much intact um it's it's the it's the it's the chinese person standing in front of the tank in tiananmen square it may also be you know arguably the the peaceful protester in in czechoslovakia sticking the flower into the barrel of the soldier's gun um so you know defiance of course defiance can be a form of protest it's the it's the the buddhist monk who set himself on fire um in that was in vietnam wasn't it um i mean these are acts of defiance public acts of defiance in the most extreme and frightening situations um but we recognize them we recognize them as displays of tremendous personal conviction and when when that plays out in the face of authority and particularly in the face of totalitarian regimes particularly in the face of the threat of violence or the threat of death um they're all the more impressive and you know in a way i suppose when we you know when we think in those terms we probably find it easier to to appreciate or easier to understand or you know when we, when we place it into the context of social or political or peaceful protest um and you think of the great sort of advocates of peaceful defiance particularly probably gandhi and martin luther king um you know amongst others the the act of 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 protest when informed by you know philosophical or spiritual or political or social principles um is you know is very inspiring it's very resonant and you know it, it speaks to us of tremendous personal integrity um and you know that that's something i'm never not interested in um and i think i think that there's a model there that we can take back into our our personal experience and our personal engagement with with wellness our personal engagement with psychological and emotional and physical self-care and see i would argue that there is a there's a pressure there's a pressure that many of us experience a pressure to 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 fall into a model of behavior in you know in society and the pressure to conform with what's been laid out for us and social media and the sort of the big tech machine of of data 
gathering is like it, it's a huge sort of social engineering um you know complex like you talk about like the industrial military complex like what we have now is a sort of a you know a big tech industrial complex and a big sort of social media um online industrial complex that has access to uh, a sort of incomprehensible amount of information about the citizens of the world and how we live our lives in an online space and there's um there's i think well and and i'm i'm not great at this but i know there's people who are massively concerned about how that data is used and clearly we're at a point in the evolution of of technology and of um of the online space and of the technologies that exist there we're reaching a point where governments um and the general sort of level of concern has 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 risen to a point where serious questions are being asked of companies like Facebook and companies like Google and how they wield their power you know in this you know in this online world which is it's it's like a, a lawless state and in a way of course it's there's been a sort of a, a waiting game of where is this all going where is it taking us and that the speed of the technical evolution is something that you know i think regulation hasn't been able to hasn't been able to keep up with but there's no question that that world has changed has changed in very profound ways how we live it's changed how how companies run it's changed how people earn money and it's like this monstrously sort of deregulated space or unregulated space so it would have had been it would have had to have been regulated in the first place to be deregulated so like an unregulated space but we are all it's almost impossible not to be connected in some way to it and not to be dependent on it in some way also so my question is you know how within that world and in the way that world is used to endlessly present us you know models of living and models of behavior and i would argue models of you know consumption and models models of lifestyle curation uh, models of lifestyle presentation within all of that how do we enact our own sort of uh, our own philosophy of defiance and really i suppose the for me the natural follow on question is you need to know what you're defying like that surely is a central idea to defiance what are you actually resisting what do you choose to resist what do you choose to stand up to what do you choose to reject and then the personal aspect of that is how do you choose 
to to act out that defiance how do you choose to to live that and you know in a way there's a a huge part of me which is ironic of course considering i'm choosing i've made a choice to produce this podcast as an extension of the the, you know the writing that i've done on the the clearout.com for uh you know nine years now you know putting stuff out into the public space ironically even though i do that there's a there's a part of me that would advocate turning away from that space there's a part of me that would advocate shutting all of that down and living invisibly and living anonymously and not living in the public space which again is you know that that's a that's a contradiction that comes up comes face to face with my acting background my performance background uh my teaching background where i've been of course in front of people where that's how i've made a living where i've made money and in different settings where i've you know advocated a lot of the stuff i talk about on the podcast in terms of personal philosophy personal responsibility self-care personal autonomy um personal agency I mean, all of those ideas are fundamental to how I think about wellness and how I think about self-care. Um, and yeah, on that, on that idea then of of presentation and on that idea of personal autonomy, I I was thinking I was thinking around the the idea of of ownership and authorship so and this this in my opinion connects to to personal wellness oriented defiance so ownership this idea of self possession the idea of I own myself. I do not belong to anybody else. Um, I am my own person. I can think for myself. I can form my own opinions. I can act and build my world in a way that connects to my value system, connects to my outlook, is integral to how I'm choosing to live my life. And the authorship then is I have the right to to be the author of my own story. I have the right to create my own narrative. And I'm saying, you know, me, my, mine, my own. I'm but I, I mean I mean this as this is this is a template that we can all use. And it's one that I believe, it's one that I've advocated as a teacher of you know of young people for you know, for over 20 years now, really, um, your right to own your own feelings, to own your own thoughts, to own your own narrative. That is then, another way of saying that is that you are your own text. So last week and in other episodes, I've spoken about female texts um, in specific contexts. But let's take this in a general sense then, 
you are your own text. You write your own story. You assert agency over your own narrative, your own life, your own history. And through that, you define your understanding of yourself. Now, that's fine. That's fine. But what happens when you put yourself out into the world? What happens when you make yourself available to others? What happens when you leave your private space and go out into the world, into the public space? What happens when you enter a workplace? What happens when you enter a community? What happens when you walk down the street? What happens when you are part of the everyday human animal experience? Do you continue to belong to yourself? So last week I was listening to um, Blind Boy's latest podcast and he was talking about semiotics, the, the study and interpretation of signs and symbols. And he referred to Roland Barthes, the famous French writer, critic and semiotician. Um, and he referred to a key Barth text, which I, I feel we I, I studied in college. <laughs> I love the vagueness. I'm pretty sure that was mentioned at one point in some English lecture. We definitely did, uh, you know, deconstructivism. Roland Barth, um, Jacques Derrida, and uh, Michel Foucault. These guys who were breaking down how we thought about texts. And anyway, Blind Boy referred to a key Barth text, The Death of the Author. And the, the, the central tenet of that essay is that once the text is completed, the, the author surrenders meaning. That meaning is um, apportioned to the text by the consumer. It's apportioned to the text by the reader. So the author might have their own, their own sort of drive, their own drivers behind the story, their own motivations, their own interpretations. But once that text is out there, it's gone. And now it's it's just an it's it's an artifact for other people to to build their own association with, to project their own meaning onto. And in that way, the, 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 the art form, the text, is, is in a permanent state of flux and flux of meaning and availability of meaning and an openness to interpretation. Um, and so, you know, and anything, any artwork is susceptible this any artwork can be understood in this way and again you know you can stay with the generic term text so any artwork then is a text to be to be read to be looked at to be taken in visually and then let it do its work on your consciousness your brain your emotional state your history my argument is can we not apply that same idea to ourselves? If we're the text and we go out there into the world, then we are no longer, we are no longer immune. We are no longer 
separated from are sealed off from in like in a, in a hermetic way we're no longer set aside from the interpretation of the world and from the meaning of the world that is projected onto us now one way to preserve that state is to yeah is to never leave the house <laughs> uh, you know to to and to 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 the attempt to remain completely anonymous now we are not living in anonymous times you know people have never shared more of themselves online they've never lived more of their lives online and i mean i'm you know i'm as guilty of this as anybody else um and it's you know really what i do online the online space what i present here on the podcast or what i you know have written on on the website on the blog um they're all expressions of the things i'm interested in and they serve their own purpose in terms of what they do for me and then beyond that really what i'm trying to do is well if there's a means to to raise you know raise my profile if there's a means to build an audience and if there's a means to to make money in some way directly or indirectly as a result of the the creative output then that to me is very desirable um, because it's a way of, of avoiding doing other things that are less pleasurable um, and yeah so and that's why I put myself out there and yet I recognize the value of anonymity and you know the fact that I'm just sitting here in my room recording this it's totally it's it, this is completely artificial so I speak as if I'm speaking to you directly particularly because to date the podcast uh, with the exception of the, the 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 Christmas special when my wife and my cousin and myself you know did a bit of singing it's a monologue it's a monologue based podcast it's press record and think speak feel in a stream you know built around two or three hopefully connected and understandable ideas uh, with the broader objective of advocating positive psychology wellness personal responsibility etc um but come back then to the idea of what are we what are we sacrificing in a way when we step out into the world i mean i suppose you could argue there's there's safety there's you know how autonomous do you continue to be once you're out being affected by and impacted by anyone you come into contact with and what of the self do you sacrifice by making yourself visible and that that you know that 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 recalls some of the ideas i spoke about last week um which was very much about being seen and the power of seeing um now a lot of this a lot of what i'm talking about it's 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 conceptual and it's tied up in in what i think is important which is one's personal philosophy one's personal credo the arrangement of one's ideas and convictions and values and how they then inform 
how one chooses to act, how one chooses to be. And insofar as they are concepts that, 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 that dwell inside one's mind, they can't be touched by the outside world. And therein lies their, their strength. But therein lies what? There's a sort of a, a surreal nature to that when you start to look at it and kind of go, well, okay, well, what's the, what's the concrete aspect of a thought? Now, that just makes my head explode. Because <laughs> I'm, building, I'm building a world around something completely abstract a concept, an idea, a philosophy, uh, a sort of a, a you know, a, a, an arrangement, a, a constellation of ideas, a conspiracy of ideas, um, a cooperation, a conflagration of ideas. And what bearing does that have on anything other than my own state of mind, my own state of being? Now, it's up to you. It's up to you to decide. Does that inform your sense of strength? Does that inform your sense of agency? I believe it does. I believe it can be hugely informative of the choices you make, hugely informative of how you conduct yourself in your relationships, hugely informative of how you pursue your goals and objectives. And in that regard, I think it's enormously empowering and feeds directly into your sense of agency rather than being unthinking, non, non-reflective or unreflective, I should say, um, and maybe giving yourself over in that fatalistic way of just going, well, life just happens to me and I've no control. Um, and embracing a sort of a philosophy of um, of reception, a philosophy of passivity. Life happens to me. I don't happen to life. Now, I don't know. I mean, maybe the truth is, is the truth for me is it's, it's somewhere in between. Of course, life is always going to happen to all of us. That's the nature of of existence. That's the nature of what we're born into. That's the nature of all the things we have no control over. There's no predetermination um, that we have control over, which is to say there's a huge amount of predetermination and we can't do anything about it. And then we arrive and we grow and we engage. And then it's like, okay, well, how do I respond to this? You know, the reactive choice or the responsive choice. Am I just getting pushed around or am I going to try and choose responses? And again, you can take that into uh, into the self-defense model, into the martial arts model of, you know, all martial arts are fundamentally trying to train you to have response capability rather than just being reactive and allowing other people to, to other people and the events of life and the circumstances of life to dictate the tempo and to dictate the space you're allowed to occupy to dictate your sense of safety and wellness 
the credo of most martial arts is built around we're going to give you responses we're going to give you a whole range of potential responses that are going to keep you safe that are going to keep you well that are going to allow you to walk a path with increased sense of capability and an increased sense of personal integral alignment that is built around self-knowledge and self-understanding and that is that is the you know a central tenet of most martial arts systems that have a philosophy attached to them is there is no greater enemy than than oneself so know thyself first and then know others and that is you know that again is 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 central to 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 any of the kind of ideas that i build around around wellness around happiness around contentment it's very much about sorting myself out first and understanding myself now how does that then and we're getting to the end of things how does that then tie in with defiance so here is a lovely word here's a lovely word to drop into your day-to-day conversation (laughs) it's a word that i came across this week uh, thanks to wordsmith.org this um this email a daily email i get monday to friday with a a word a word a day i've referred to it before i get the the etymology i get a couple of usage examples and then there is often an unrelated uh quote uh, thrown in to conclude the email anyway the other day this word dropped in my lap i'd never seen it before and this word is cacoethes cacoethes do you like that one yeah i've just been just been thinking about uh cacoethes <laughs> i do love i do love the cacoethes uh, that live in the bottom of my cupboard okay so what does cacoethes mean for those of you who are more well schooled than i am you'll go well of course dara cacoethes means an irresistible urge to do something especially something inadvisable so that is what that word means and apparently apparently the legendary <laughs> the legendary satirist um the legendary satirist from uh, ancient rome juvenal um and i think that's a that's a hard j as opposed to juvenal juvenal once wrote about and this is latin insanabile scribende cacoethes and that translates as the incurable passion for writing so scribende i presume is writing and uh incurable insanabile i think it's a root word for sanity maybe there and then cacoethes is obviously translated as passion but as i said the definition and this is all on my little my little email that comes into me an irresistible urge to do something especially something inadvisable now i'm not going to focus so much on the irresistible urge to do something although you can interpret that as you wish or decide to what degree that applies to you 
But I like the inadvisable part because we are conditioned. We are all conditioned. Unless you've grown up in exceptional circumstances, we are all conditioned to conform. Now, I was raised by hippies. Okay? But you say hippies and people have... They jump to these wild conclusions about what, you know, what a hippie looks like. There were certain, there's certainly an aspect of my parents looking like hippies back in the day. But they were, to my mind, sort of, there was a sort of a, a conservative, there was a, conser- a conservative underpinning to their, to their hippiness. So they were still very much, you know, go out there, get an education, get a job, work for a living. So nothing radical along those lines the hippiness manifested itself more and i have spoken about this before the hippiness manifested itself more in in lifestyle choices in certain aesthetics uh in the the nature of the conversations that happened in that house in the friendship group and in certain recreational activities uh, particularly in the area of um of, of drug taking and certain hedonistic uh, impulses but the the there was still fundamentally a conformity of this is how to live in the mix and I'm not arguing for a second that my parents represent the full complexity of a hippie outlook that would have emerged in the 60s and 70s um but I can speak for that, you know, my particular experience in that particular family. Um, so even if you're a hippie, you're still you've still inherited the laid out plan. You've still inherited the conformist conventional model for how to live. And fundamentally, it is considered inadvisable not to go down that road. And certainly that's the message I would have received from my parents, um, you know, tacitly, um, if not overtly. And the whole idea then of making a different choice and making that different choice consciously, willfully, knowingly, that, in my opinion, is one of the greatest acts of defiance you can do. And a huge amount of what I've advocated over the years in in school classrooms in particular is pinned to that notion. Think for yourself. Build your own world. Own your own identity without apology or concession to anyone and again within reason i mean you, you know you have to we, we take that I, I take that model as understanding you know we just eliminate maybe extreme circumstances like extreme mental unwellness or extreme deprivation or extreme violence let's take the extremities away let's just go to the mean uh, the average and go here we are you know if you've got within reason the same sort of uh roughly speaking the same sort of uh you know social conditioners around um learn 
how to think for yourself. Learn how to make your own choice. Learn how to just step outside the throng. Step outside that that great kind of flow of consensus and just go, hold on, do I actually agree with this? Or am I just being carried along by the current? Carried along by the current of acceptance. Carried along by the current of Asher, why not? Carried along by the current of, well, there's nothing else available anyway. What's to say? What's to say you can't build your own world around your own personal ideology and value system? Well, there's a lot of stuff to say you can't. Um, and a lot of that revolves around you've got to make a living and you've got to pay your own way and you've got to satisfy the the social needs of of survival um you know within a sort of handed down and expected code of of behavior and that is an economic model that's a social model that's a cultural model that's a political model that's a historical model and to defy all of that takes tremendous um tremendous self-possession um but to me that way lies i don't know what that way lies greater agency that way lies greater opportunity for learning that way lies greater opportunity for appreciating other people that way lies greater opportunity for thoughtfulness and reflection and really a greater understanding of the choices, a greater understanding of the choices available to you, a greater understanding of, of why you may or may not want to make a particular choice at a particular time. And I think there's power in that. And so... It also might make you understand. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know. And, and and if that is the path you go down, that inadvisable path of trying to work things out for yourself, maybe then the irresistible urge, the irresistible urge to you know to poke, to poke the beast of conformity, to poke that fire. You know, maybe maybe you'll understand the value of that in a way that's not simply uh, a contrarian impulse or an impulse to 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 gain notoriety or an impulse to be the rebel um there might be something else there might be something else informing that impulse and maybe i don't know it's not for me it's not for me to say what that is i mean but but on that, I will say, as an actor, um, as an actor in the past, <laughs> not so much in the present, that irresistible urge to do something, I think that's a mind game many actors are capable of playing in their bid to understand what humans are capable of, in a bid to explore the an, an emotional landscape or a psychological landscape that isn't part of their everyday experience. And I think it's why actors many actors find it easy to to go to 
very sort of dark places um you know in 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 a character in a performance um because the an actor's brain is wired that way to go well, what what would it be like if i did this what would it be like if i did that now in that regard i really recognize that irresistible urge to do something um as a mind game as a little game of the imagination because it's not really my impulse in terms of my character um, as a person, which is, you know, which cleaves much more to patterns of control and patterns of discipline. And just that's something I might come back to in, 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 in another episode. I did want to talk today about discipline and setting terms but I think if I start now, it'll just drag this episode on um, for longer than you could bear to, to listen. But I will say then, in conclusion, that defiance, the first part of defiance is not just accepting what everyone else is doing, not just accepting what everyone else is saying, not just accepting what everyone else is thinking, wearing, eating, showing not just accepting everyone else's curated bit of but going eh. <laughs> I'll just I'll just do my own thing and that is that is a, an act of defiance and from that act of defiance you can then maybe build as a way to gird the loins of your defiance you may build a regime of discipline that will inform your convictions that will be the living out of your convictions and the example that your act of defiance is not madness that your act of defiance is rooted in your own world building rooted in self-care rooted in wellness and that you are the person who is going to set the terms um, rather than Apple, <laughs> rather than Google, rather than Spotify, rather than this consumerist world we live in where you're clicking I agree or I accept every time you, you look online, um, where terms are constantly being laid before you I think be your own be your own corporation <laughs> be your own you know monstrous entity and set your own terms and maybe employ yourself and nobody else how about that for a metaphor does that work will you go with that one um, yeah okay so look maybe maybe next week I'll pick this up again Maybe next week I'll focus on what discipline looks like to me um, and how that serves my my own emotional and psychological stability, um, healthy habits. That's what it comes back to, doesn't it? Okay, maybe 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 I'll tap into that next week. But for now, for now, I will say farewell, farewell, defiant listeners. You can support me by saying nice things on social media. (laughs) 
the platforms we have been given. You can support me by saying nice things. You can support me by recommending the podcast to a friend. And I would appreciate anything like that. You can support me just by shooting me a text or shooting me a message. You can email me at theclearoutlive at gmail.com with feedback, with suggestions for future uh, topics. Um, I do hope in the coming weeks to start having an occasional interview on the podcast and to talk to people about their own journey, their own wellness um, regimes and routines, their own wellness strategies, what they're doing in their lives um, and the relationship between what they're doing and how that feeds into their sense of being okay in the world. Um, So, yeah, hopefully I'm going to make that happen in the next few weeks. So that might be something to look forward to. You can support me using the supporter link, which you'll find in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast. A supporter, the supporter link will allow you to give a one-time donation to the podcast. It could be the response to a particular episode. It could be your response to where this podcast serves you in any way, shape or form. You can also support me using the Patreon link, which you'll also find in the description wherever you're listening to this podcast. And a Patreon contribution is a regular monthly contribution that contributes to the sustainability of this independent podcast, which is produced by little old me here in hashtag blessed. So otherwise you'll find me out there on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever. I should be out there. The Clear Out Podcast. I'm Dara Clear. Thank you for listening. You look after yourself. Take care. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay positive. Okay. All the best. Mind yourself. Defy. Defy.